Good morning, Mercy Hill. It's good to be with you. My name is Brad. I'm one of the elders here. Let me invite you to grab a Bible, jump up off the couch, run to your bedroom, um, run over wherever your Bible is and, and pick it up and turn with me to John chapter 7. If you don't know where John is or if you've got little ones in the room, go ahead and grab a Bible and uh, let them uh, help you in finding it so that they get to know how to find books in their Bible. You're going to go to the New Testament, which is uh, the second half of the Bible. You're going to go about two-thirds of the way, and you're going to see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. We're going to be in John 7 today. As Chris prayed this morning, uh, I just want to say that one of the things that I've noticed during this time is that I think each of us can feel the need for prayer in a way that maybe we haven't felt that need in a tangible sort of way in the past. I think that God is at work all around us. The church is not shut down. The church is not closed. We're not currently gathered physically, but God is at work. For those of you who are struggling this morning, just before we jump into this text, I just want to read part of a verse to you that really encouraged my heart this morning. Psalm 138 verse 3 says, On the day I called, you answered me. My strength of soul, you increased. Some of you may need that this morning. You may need to cry out to God. He will answer you. His scriptures promise He does. And He will strengthen your soul. He will increase the strength of your soul. We need that today. Today we're looking at John chapter 7 and uh, we're looking at the idea of how easy it is to miss Jesus. And I'm not just talking about those who are outside the church, I'm just as much, maybe even more so, talking to those of us who are a part of the church. Sometimes we can become so focused on the way that we expect Jesus is going to show up in our lives that we can just completely miss him. I don't know if you've ever missed things before, but men are particularly talented with this skill. And I've learned over the years that if I'm looking for something in a drawer, or particularly if I am standing in front of the refrigerator, before I cry out, Hey honey, where's the... I have learned when you've looked everywhere, stop and look right in front of you. <laughs> and oftentimes it will be right in front of you. I've got some middle school boys that I need to learn. That I need them to learn that sometimes it's right in front of you. You have to open your eyes. And you've probably had that experience before. But sometimes we miss Jesus in the same way he's right in front of us. Today we're going to look at a text in which um, we see that it's so easy to have false expectations of Jesus. To think that Jesus is going to uh, operate in a particular sort of way in our life. And that we completely miss him. Because of the expectations that we have. I think one of the ways in which Satan is tempting us the most. One of the ways in which the church is missing Jesus today. Is through the, the distraction of social media and the news. And I don't mean to say that these two things aren't important. But if you look at your screen time. As a follower of Jesus and you look at the amount of time that you're giving to the news. And that you're giving to social media. You can 
miss Jesus just because you become so distracted with all the things that are around you that you find yourself never getting to the scriptures, never really meeting with Jesus, which means that you aren't following him. Today's text helps us to understand how we can not miss Jesus. And it's a particular text that speaks to us in the day and time in which we live because Jesus, his life was filled with loneliness and isolation in this time. It's a perfect text for the pandemic. So let's jump into John 7. I split this chapter up into two sections. We're going to look at the first half this week and the second half next week. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 24. Follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them. I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision. So that the law of Moses may not be broken. Are you angry with me? Because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well. Do not judge by appearance. But judge with right judgment in missing Jesus the first thing that we see in this text is that Jesus has always been loved or hated Jesus has always been loved or hated uh, verse 1 begins with after this after all of chapter 6 that we looked at if you remember it was the time of Passover it would have been six months prior to chapter 7 taking place John skips a timeline of, of of six months. If you want to see what was going on during that time, you can look back at, I believe it's Matthew chapter 12 through 17, and you can pick up on some of the incidents that were taking place. But John says, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. So after he 
had fed the 5,000, after he had walked on water, after he had performed miracles in which the crowds were seeing Jesus and Jesus was showing the crowds not just physical miracles, but miracles that would point them to the fact that he was the Messiah, he was the rescuer, he was the one who would come in order to fulfill all that they were all that they were celebrating through the Passover and through the festivals in the past. Jesus is saying that I am now that bread of life. That I am the one that you are celebrating. I am the one that all the events from Israel's past point toward. And the people were missing it. Verse 1 says he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. It doesn't speak of all the Jews. In fact, we'll, you'll be confused if you don't understand that as we read through this text. Because some people will then question Jesus later and say, who's trying to kill you? And John, as he writes, as he says the Jews were seeking to kill him, he speaks of the religious leaders. And Jesus' life that we see is filled with controversy and conflict. There is mounting opposition and hatred. And it begins at this point in Jesus' life. We see a mounting opposition and hatred that will last for the next year in Jesus' life until he is crucified. And, I, and we miss this so oftentimes with Jesus. And I, I think this text is helpful to us because we see that... Uh, Oftentimes, I think when we think of Jesus, we kind of think of him like a, a Charles Dickens postcard. You know, we think of him uh, like Christmas, or we think of him with the results of Christmas, which leads us to, you know, a little, a little field that has snow that's lightly covered it, and there's a chapel in the background, and maybe there's, there's some Christmas bells in the corner. That was not Jesus' life. That, that's the results we have because of Jesus' life, but he was the man who was despised and rejected all of his life. I mean, there was, an, there was a chance that he could be trampled on by any type of cow or donkey. At his birth, he was born of all things in a stable, not a place for a baby to be born. And I think a lot of times that we tend to think of him as... as, as the Jesus who's playing with children or has children on his lap or the good shepherd. And while he is those things, Philip Yancey reminds us. I've been reading back through his old book, The Jesus I Never Knew. And Philip Yancey says it in this way. How would telling people to be nice to one another get a man crucified? What government would execute Mr. Rogers or Captain Kangaroo. And he goes on to say, Thomas Paine said that no religion could be truly divine which has in it any doctrine that offends the sensibilities of a little child. And then he asked the question, would the cross qualify? We tame the Bible in so many ways. We, we put Noah's Ark wallpaper on our little kids' nurseries. All the while, God closed the door of the Ark and everyone who wasn't on the ark drowned. That's the story of scripture. And we so oftentimes have a kind of a nursery lullaby effect. But Jesus' life and ministry was controversial. It offended many. He was loved or hated. And there was very little in between. And it's a great reminder to us as Christians today. That we would be reminded. Why would we be expect to be loved by the world if the one that we follow was hated. Philip Yancey goes on to write about how mysterious and curious Jesus truly is. We see that in the passage. He goes on and says, People use Jesus' name to curse by, 
How strange it would sound if when a businessman missed a golf putt, he yelled, Thomas Jefferson! <laughs> or if a plumber screamed, Mahatma Gandhi! When his pipe wrench mashed a finger. He went on to point out the fact that we cannot get away from the man named Jesus. Verse 2 picks up and it, it gives us better context of the passage six months after the Passover. But it says, now the Jews... Feast of Booths was at hand. And this was really, I'm not going to go into all the detail, but i got a picture for you that you can see. This was a time in which the Jews were celebrating um, the 40 years that they had lived in the wilderness as God had brought them out of Egypt. And this is really cool. I think it was uh, been especially cool for kids. Now, if you don't like camping, you might not be into this, but the picture you see is modern-day Israel, and you see... Little wooden booths that are built even on, high, um, on, on multiple floors in a high rise. You, you'll go to an army base in Israel and around the time of Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, you will see tents set up outside even on an army base. They are remembering this 40 years in which God sustained them. And so this is one of the three festivals in which people would go up to Jerusalem. And as they go up to Jerusalem... This was the most joyous of the festivals because it happened around September or October when they celebrated the harvest of grapes and olives. And it was the most joyous of the festivals. Imagine what it would have been like for the kids. They get to see their, their, their friends like three times a year when they're going up to Jerusalem. And they, they build this little booth with their family. They get to help set their tent up, if you will. And every night they eat their meals in this tent. And they walk out with palm branches and they wave them in the air. Would have been so much fun. Some of you guys are too darn into camping. You're thinking that would have been seven nights and eight days of just horrific time. But in Jerusalem, this was a time that was joyous. People are together. They're having fun. And Jesus' brothers are saying to him in verses 3 through 5, they're saying, hey, you should go up to Jerusalem. Look at verse 3 with me. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. He goes on and says, no one does their works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. The second point that we see, and oftentimes as we miss Jesus, is that Jesus' agenda was God's glory, not selfish gain. So often, we present Jesus, even in such a way as we invite people to come and follow him, that we present Jesus as if, his ministry is for our selfish gain. But Jesus walked in the Father's will, not for his selfish gain, but for God's glory. It's been six months since the feeding of the 5,000. And we don't know why Jesus' brothers, if they don't believe in him, why they're so anxious for him to go up to Jerusalem. Maybe they felt like, hey, Jesus, you're not bringing honor on the family name. Like, if you're going to claim to be Messiah, you've got to get this ministry up and running. But... They don't believe. Even James and Jude, his half-brothers, who would go on to write books of the Bible. Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters because he was adopted by Joseph. Joseph was not his biological father. Mary was his biological mother. But he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so these would have been his half-brothers. And uh, so imagine what it would have been like to be them. I mean, just think for a moment. It must have been miserable to be Jesus' brother. 
A lot of times we read the scriptures and we go, how could they not believe? Like all the testimony that Mary had at his birth and the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and like story after story. But don't you think his brothers just kind of got sick of it after a while? Like can you imagine what that would have been like? I mean, Jesus' mom walks in and it's like, it's like your house. Who, who left the dishes in the sink? Who forgot to flush the toilet, right? And, she, and Mary's like, well, we know it wasn't Jesus. And his brother's like, well, of course it wasn't Jesus. Jesus always flushes the toilet. Right? I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like for his brothers? And they don't believe. They're only concerned with Jesus' earthly following, with his popularity and his success. And sometimes we make the same mistake that his brothers made. We believe in his miracles and we seek after him for selfish gain. Not because he is God and worthy to be worshipped. I think it's one of the problems in the church today that we become so familiar with Jesus. But here's the deal. Familiarity does not guarantee faith. You can worship Jesus your whole life by attending a church and being there every moment that the doors of the church building are open. But familiarity with Jesus does not guarantee faith. Many people who hear a lot about Jesus, we, we wrongly assume that Jesus wants as big a crowd as possible. But Jesus' life showed us that that was not the case. Jesus isn't looking for the biggest crowd or the biggest following. Jesus is actually looking for followers, not fans. And there's a huge difference. Because fans are merely sitting, watching what's taking place on the field. But followers are involved in the game. There's a huge difference between the two. Do you follow Jesus for selfish gain? Or in order, do you follow him in order to give God glory? A couple of evaluating questions for you. Does your relationship with God consist only of asking for things? Or are there moments when you listen to God? Does your relationship with God consist only of asking for more and more things? Are there moments that you spend listening to God? Are you asking God to be on your agenda? Are you listening to God and seeking to follow Him on mission? Is your relationship with God personal and public the other six days of the week? Or is it only personal and public on Sunday? I believe that as we look at this, this text and, and this danger of missing Jesus, I believe that God is up to something in our day and time. And I hope that we don't miss him. But I think that God is up to something special. And I think that there is, there is an opportunity in, in our current pandemic for God to do something in which only he can receive the glory. Because here's the deal. There's not a pastor in the world today, or in the West at least, who can say, I know my church is growing by attendance. Because they're not meeting. And so they can look at their, the number of clicks on a live stream. That, as Chris said earlier, meeting on a live stream is not the church gathering. It's not the same thing. We're doing the best we can but when you look at the scriptures, the church is what happens when the people of God come together in person in order to worship Him. But right now, I believe that God is growing us or 
there is an opportunity for God to grow us, not just in quantity, but in quality. That God is growing us in our need to pursue Him and, and to pursue prayer. And maybe more than ever, we're seeing that, yeah, the, even the prayer of intercession that's prayed on a Sunday on a live stream is all of a sudden becoming important to us. We're not saying like, man, he prays short or she plays long, but we're saying, yes, we need prayer for all these different areas of our life. And I think that God is up to something. And I hear so many pastors that are complaining. They're, they're falling into conspiracy theories in, in relation to all the news stories that are taking place. And they're saying that while all this is happening, the government has our churches shut down. And I would just appeal to them in saying, the government cannot shut the church down. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well today. We might not be gathered on Sundays, but Jesus has sent us out on mission. And God has an opportunity in our day and time, if we don't miss Jesus, to do great things. In fact, I would be curious, our elders are curious to hear, how have you seen God at work in your families in this last Guys, this is, I think this Sunday is 15 weeks now that we have been live streaming and not gathered together. So in this last four months, I'm curious to hear, how many of your kids have come to faith in Jesus? I know that some have. I've heard stories. We haven't had an opportunity to do baptisms, but how many of your kids have come to faith in Jesus over these last four months? How many of you are walking with someone who is that you're seeking to disciple who doesn't yet know Jesus. It's an outsider to the church, but they are taking significant steps of faith in coming to know Jesus, in coming to believe, in coming to follow Him. love for you to email those stories to us. Uh, my email address is brad at mercyhillmemphis.org. Brad at mercyhillmemphis.org. Our elders would love to hear those stories. We know that God is at work if we don't miss Him. Look at verses 6 through 9. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Sounds nice, doesn't it? <laughs> the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. So, uh, after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Sounds like Jesus is, is, is saying that, hey, guys, it's, it's not my time you go. Sounds like he's being nice. Um... The truth is, is that Jesus is really saying to his brothers in this moment, hey, the world's not worried about you because you love the world. But the world hates me because I'm not of the world. Which is a great reminder to us. In this text, in Missing Jesus, we see the third point here is that Jesus' vision was to do God's will, but not just God's will. He, it was to do God's will in God's timing. Both are important. Many Christians make the mistake of doing the right thing at the wrong time. Maybe you've experienced this before. We get impatient. A lot of Christians will take the wrong job. They'll marry the wrong person. Even serve in the church in the wrong way. I've come to discover over the years that, that I'm rarely impressed with great things that are done fast. I'm, I'm not dismissive of them. But I'm rarely impressed with great things that are done fast. Because that's typically not the way of the kingdom. Jesus was focused on doing the will of God in God's timing. And the only way this can happen is through communion and such a close relationship with the Father. 
And that takes time. Listen, Jesus at this point in his life was probably as lonely and isolated as he had ever been. You're having a good week compared to Jesus if you haven't had any death threats made on your life this week. Like, that's a good week. Because Jesus had death threats that were made on his life and he continued he continued to remain focused on the Father's will in the Father's timing. How did he do it? He did it because he was so close to the Father. Some of you right now, it, it, it's God's grace that, that he hasn't given you what you're asking for. Because he knows you don't have the character to handle the influence you would receive if he answered your prayer. And Jesus uses times like the time that we're in. Even when we question his timing, even when we feel lonely and isolated, he uses those times in our life. And as we look back at them, we see them as some of the, the greatest times of growth. The hardest times of life, but the greatest times of growth. Think about one of my sons this week who just, in a, in a kind of moment of, of, of just openness, was sharing with me something that he's, he's really praying for. and Praying for daily, and I said, I'll commit to pray uh, for you daily for that. And just seeing and being encouraged that, that even though there's struggle in that, I'm seeing that because that prayer has not yet been answered, that it, it's, it's drawing him to God. And it's, it's growing his faith. And that's what God does when we trust, not just in following his will, but following his timing. Jesus informs his brothers that the world cannot hate them, but that it sure does hate him. And we pick up in verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. I was confused when I first read that and went back and did some studies. I was like, did Jesus lie to him? Or did he just pull that parenting technique where it's like, I'm get, here's what we're going to do. And then the famous line of, oh, no, 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 I'm your parent. I changed my mind. We're going to completely wipe that off the table and we're going to do this other thing instead. Like, parents, you have the right to do that, right? You know that? Um, because what you're saying is like, I made a bad decision early on, and now I'm making a wiser decision. But Jesus didn't make a bad decision. And so I'm trying to figure out what's going on, why he would go up after he said he wouldn't. And I looked at the Greek, and, and in that translation in verse 8, it's literally translated, I am not now going. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not now going with you, but as if to say, I may go later. And so he does. And we pick up there in uh, verse Verse 10 through 13. But after this, his brothers had gone up to the feast. Then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. There is this great mystery and curiosity and fear and hatred around Jesus. And that continues today. Pick up in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? And Jesus is going to show us an important truth in this text. So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. 
Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus is going to show us one of the dangers in missing him. Jesus shows us that faith is about what and who you know. Faith isn't just about what you know. What we know is important. But faith is about what and who you know. From this point until chapter 8, verse 59, Jesus is going to be teaching in the synagogue. And and even though Jesus didn't have formal theological or, or rabbinic training, the crowds, they're amazed at his teaching because he's not quoting any of the former rabbis. He's not quoting other rabbis who have made... Um, who've written these papers on this section of the Talmud. No, he is speaking and they're saying, where does this rabbi get these incredible ideas from and this, this incredible understanding of, of the law? He's opening it up to us in a way that we've never heard before. Of course, that understanding's coming from the Father. And as Jesus does that, he shows us that true growth in our faith doesn't come from mere knowledge. Knowledge without obedience actually puffs us up. That's how it's possible to study the Bible and actually become more disobedient. It is possible to study the scriptures and become less like Jesus if we don't walk in obedience to all that God calls us to. It's how people will spend their entire lives sitting in a church building, sitting in pews, And as you get to know them, you begin to see that the fruit of the Spirit in their life, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, is not increasing, but it's actually decreasing in their life because they're not living in obedience to Jesus. They're not walking in an active relationship with Him. The foundation of faith comes through our submission to God on a daily basis, not simply through theological or intellectual analysis. And you can know that to be true if you've ever spent a lot of time with a new believer, somebody who's really excited about Jesus, and maybe they've told you about a struggle that's in their life, and then you've said, well, I'll pray for you, and they've said, okay, great. And they bow their heads, and you're taken kind of off guard, like, oh, you mean like right now? And you pray for them. And have you ever had this experience before where you pray for them and then they begin to pray and you realize you are praying with more passion and more faith than I think I have. And you've only been a believer for a week or a month or a year. And it's because they're submitting their life to Jesus. It's not just what we know, but it's who we know. That's why it's so important that we meet with Jesus daily through prayer in his word, that we walk in relationship with him, that we come under his agenda, not our own agenda. Jesus went on to describe that the Jewish leaders are, are seeking to kill him. The people don't get it. And we'll finish the text up uh, reading verses 20 through 24. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them. I did one work and you all marvel at it. He's speaking of The healing of the paralytic in chapter 5. The man that was by the pool of Bethesda. As he healed him on the Sabbath. Jesus is speaking of that one work. 
And he does this kind of weird pivot in verse 20, 22. He says, Moses gave you circumcision. Like, okay, Jesus, where are you going with this? Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. That's a little, that's a little jab at him. You guys worship Moses. It didn't actually even come from Moses. It came from the patriarchs. It came from Abraham. Jesus is just kind of like, just little jabs at him here. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Jesus is saying that if a child is born eight days after his birth, he is to be, a male is to be circumcised. And if that eighth day falls on the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, you'll break the law. You'll, you'll perform this minor surgery on the Sabbath. And Jesus is just pointing out to them, and he says in verse 23, if on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy 16. He's warning. Moses used this language of warning against partiality. He warning against things like taking bribes. And the Jewish leaders, they were failing to make a right judgment because they were seeking their own glory. They were seeking to impress each other by the way in which they kept the law. They were To make a right judgment depends on seeking God's will, not our own will. Not our own impartial judgments. And that's why it's so important that we are a people who remain submitted to God. And that can only come by walking with Him in relationship. And guys, we talk about this all the time. I think the issue is not that we don't know the physical practices. It's not a physical issue or a fleshly issue. It's a spiritual issue. And it comes back to things like, Holy Spirit, will you give me the awareness that when I wake up in the mornings, that this little thing right here is evil. That that it can distract me all day long. And that when I wake up in the mornings, like one discipline that I've practiced is I'm going to take my social media apps and I'm going to move them off my wallpaper so that it's not on my front page. And that before I would even swipe to look at the news or to look at social media, that I would open up my CBR journal app. And then I would say, God, I need you today more than I need to know what's happening around the world. God, I need to know what your agenda is uh, today more than I need you to know what my agenda is. God, I'm going to seek you in your word. Yesterday, I'm going to read Psalm 78. I'm going to be dependent upon you. I'm going to slow down. I'm not just going to live my life pouring out for others. But God, I know that if I don't stop and open my journal and say, God, what are you speaking to me? If I don't walk in individual relationship with him and let him fill me up, that I'll have nothing to give out to others. And it's not just in a quiet time, but that as we are with God, that our quiet time becomes loud and that it begins to influence our, our whole day. That there would be moments all throughout our day in which we are meeting with God, in which we are seeing God's agenda at work, in which we are seeing the way in which the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Because, folks, God is at work all around us, constantly, consistently. His creation is brimming over with His glory, and we miss Jesus every day, constantly. And when we miss Jesus, one of the, one of the things that, that, that I'll just be real open in sharing with you from my own life. When I miss Jesus, and my wife can attest to this, and she, 
She recently, when we were at the beach, she had a real honest conversation with me that I knew to be true, that I really appreciated. And it was this. She, she in essence, said, when you don't take the time to spend with Jesus, we don't get the joy of Jesus in our family in the way that you lead us. We get the distracted you. We get the you that is worried and anxious about many things that honestly don't really matter in the scope of Jesus' plans and in the scope of His church and His kingdom. It was just a reminder to me that if I want to live a life that is fulfilling and if I want to live a life that's filled with joy and if I want to be a great dad, not just a good dad or an okay dad, but if I want to be a great dad, I do I want to be a great dad, that I have to spend time with Jesus because Jesus is my great dad and I'm his son, I'm his child, I'm not just a dad, I'm not just a pastor, but I'm a little child and I need to go sit on his lap sometimes. I need to go sit on his lap every day. Because the world will hate us if we follow him. And we need a father who loves us. That we walk with. How is God calling you to follow him? I wonder if today as a church. What the church would look like across America. If we committed to spend as much time on our knees. As we spend on our keyboards. I, I, I just wonder what our world would look like if we said, I'm going to engage with Jesus more than I engage with social media. Or more than, than my screen time when I sit being a keyboard warrior for him. Because the last time I checked, I've never spoken with anyone who said my life was changed through social media. I've never spoken with anyone who said it was that one social media post. It was that one argument that I had that convinced me. No. It's always by a person. It's always by Jesus. How is God calling you to follow him today? Because Jesus showed us what it looks like to live as a lonely and isolated man who followed God's will and God's timing all the way to the cross. In order to wait with patience for that third day. To wait on God's timing when God's glory would be revealed. It seemed like pure foolishness to the world. But Jesus was connected to the Father. And he pursued the Father's will. So that you and I could share in the grace and mercy that comes in knowing God. Oh that we would be a church that is fueled by obedience to God's will. In God's time. In God's way. Thanks be to God for His glorious Son, Jesus Christ, who makes it possible for us to walk in the joy of knowing God and to live empowered by His Spirit in the work He's prepared for us, His church, to do. And we're going to look more at that next week in that what does it look like to be empowered by His Spirit as we walk day by day. Jesus is going to unpack that for us in the second half of chapter 7. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that, that in Jesus we find hope. That Jesus shows us what it looks like to live even in loneliness and in isolation. Jesus shows us what it looks like to live in a world in which uh, he is hated. To live in a world in which it seems as if we are not winning. At least according to our physical circumstances. Jesus, would you help us by your spirit 
Would you just awaken our hearts today to the fact that you're with us? God, you're with us in the times of loneliness, that you're with us in times in which we feel isolated. God, that you are equally with us in the valleys of our life just as much as you are in, in the high lands of our life, God. That we stand on the summit of, the, of your foundation, which is the cross and the resurrection and the gospel. No matter where our circumstances of life take us, and God, would you give us joy that can only come through the Holy Spirit by walking in relationship with you and seeing you at work in your kingdom all around us. God, open our eyes that we might not miss Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.